0: Welcome. You're listening to the Mac Observer's background mode. This is your host, John Marchalero. And this week, my guest is senior reporter for CNET News, Shara Tipkin. Shara, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: I've been an admirer of your work for a long, long time. You do a great job reporting and technical writing. And oh, it's a thank pleasure you. to have you on the show. For the listeners, I want to introduce you. You are a senior reporter for CNET News, focused on Samsung and Apple. You previously wrote for Dow Jones, Newswires, and The Wall Street Journal. Yay! <laughs> and you describe yourself as a native Midwesterner who still prefers the word pop over soda. Nice. Yes.
1: Nice. Yes. <laughs> yes. That gets me into lots of arguments with my coworkers and uh, now West Coasters. So I'm
0: a Midwesterner, too, with you. I grew up in Indiana. <laughs> so we have that in background. Tell me about your growing up. What inspired you to become a technical journalist? Or was it even technical in the early days?
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess... Um, I was one of those people who kind of was interested in everything. Um, I, you know, I, I wanted to be a zoologist. I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be, you know, to like work in human rights. I wanted to do um, this and that and pretty much everything. And um, I found, I've always been a big reader. Like I've, I I remember winning this award when I was in middle school for reading the most number of books of all my classmates because we'd have to take tests. And I think I had like triple the number of books, which, you know, at the time is a little embarrassing. And you're like, wow, I just read all the time. Um, But I always just really liked writing. I liked reading. And I found journalism basically meant I could be a full-time student. And I, um, you know, I get to talk to some of the smartest people in the world working on some of the coolest stuff. And that was why I wanted to be a journalist. I just, you know, I basically get to learn all day, every day. And it's such a great, great job.
0: Growing up on a farm, did you have access to a computer at an early age or was it mostly bookish type things?
1: Yeah, my mom was a teacher. um, So we actually got the Internet or, you know, we got a computer at my home. I think we had a computer my entire life. Um, And we had the Internet. We got the Internet in, I think, 95 when I was in fifth grade. So you know, I had it earlier than a lot of my classmates. And I remember, you know, it was dial up at the time and um I would get online and, you know, like go to some of the early websites or like use like the chat system ICQ is what I was using. What at the was your time. first
0: computer? Was it a Mac? Yes, yes, yes.
1: Um I don't <laughs> think so. I don't remember our first computer. I remember we had a Dell when I was um like when we when we had the internet we had a (laughs) Dell sorry Um, Um, I mean I'm my you know my mom is a teacher like we definitely use Macs in school and yeah yeah, so that was you know using all of that stuff pretty early
0: did you really get on with computers early Did it become sort of like second nature to you so
1: I never, I'm not like, I've always been interested in technical things, but I'm not the kind of person who's going to like take apart a computer or build it. Um, you know, one of my cousins used to always just like, he'd build his own computers. He like built, you know, we had a Dell actually because he built our computer. Um, you know, like he'd, put together my grandma's computer. He'd like, you know, he was like the troubleshooter doing all of the stuff for us and so, you know, it was kind of through him and like we would talk about things. And you know, what I the kind of the way I got into writing about technology was um I was at Dow Jones and um you know, when I started there I was covering breaking news and then for a couple of years I was covering the stock market. And my job That was during the downturn that was a decade ago, and um, my job was watching big movers, so like if a stock was up or down a lot. And I specifically was watching semiconductors, so I was like... Yeah, I wanted um, to
0: ask you about that. Yeah. yeah. Covering, covering semiconductors is a challenging topic, even yeah. for us physicists.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, it was just like, it was so, something that was so completely foreign to me. Like, I think most people have heard of Intel, but they don't really understand what any of this is or how it works or anything like that. So, for me, it was just this amazing challenge to try to figure out what was going on with these. What are these companies? What the heck are they making? And um, that was kind of how I got into more technical journalism, writing about technology was, um, it was just like fascinating to me. Like I felt like I would never learn at all. Like no matter how much I knew, no matter how much I learned, no matter how many people I talked to, there was always going to be new things. There were always going to be things that I didn't understand. And I just really loved that challenge because, you know, I want to learn as much as possible and really like semiconductors was kind of like throwing you in the deep end, um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, at Dow Jones, it was considered like the entry level technology beat. So they'd always throw kind of the new person on the team onto semiconductors. And it always just seemed so. Was that
0: done with malice or with grace and smile?
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I mean, it, it was more like, good luck. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you, you, um, yeah, I mean, it was the most technical beat. It was the I guess hardest. you earn
0: your wings doing that. Huh?
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think it was great because it just like you, semiconductors touch everything. And the things that semiconductor companies are working on is what's going to let you do things in five years. So I just found it so fascinating because it was always, you know, the possibilities of what we'll be able to do in the future was kind of being enabled by these chips that were being developed now and I you, just found it fascinating.
0: You went to Simpson College. Was that on your radar at the time or did you have a more general feel no, I, for your future at Simpson and did you and did you have any professors who were particularly encouraging or inspiring?
1: Yeah, I did. So um so Simpson is a small private liberal arts college. Um it was about an hour and a half from where I lived and um I, when I was there, I waited to the last minute to declare my major. I just, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I liked everything, um, you know, besides math, basically. Um, and I, I had no idea what I really wanted to do. And, um, I ended up majoring in, um, journalism and history. And, you know, I felt like they both kind of like drew off of each other, like, you know, to be a good journalist, you have to be able to dig up history and, um, you know, just kind of gave you this foundation and the, you know, there were a couple professors that really inspired me a lot while I was there. Um, one was one of my history professors, uh, Dr. Proctor. Um, he was great and he would, he challenged us to kind of think differently and do things differently. So in a lot of the history classes, um, well, in all of his classes you were required to talk in every class. Um, like your grade kind of depended on how active you were and, you know, I'm a more introvert, introverted person. So that was something that kind of, like, challenged me. You know, I would know the answers often, but I just, you know, wasn't necessarily always, um, you know, saying them. So that was something that kind of challenged me to have to, you know, be a little more extroverted. And then my, um, my journalism professor, uh, Brian Steffen, um, you know, I still actually talk to him pretty often. Uh, cool. You know, he, he was my college advisor, but he didn't really stop being my advisor when I left. And um, you know, I go try to go back and talk to his classes every once in a while, and he just he was just amazing. Like uh, you know, if you could basically summarize what you know journalism professor should be like, that was what he was.
0: Your h- experience with history and research shows in the work that you do today. I notice it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's really cool.
1: Thank so you.
0: after college, uh, you had an internship in Grand Forks. What was that like? We hear about Grand Forks and we hear about Minutemen missiles, but that's about it,
1: yeah, yeah, i mean it's it's funny, like, um, so when I was in college, I was editor in chief of my college paper. um, I really loved it. I was debating if I wanted to go to law school after I graduated mm-hmm. um I'd done a semester in London uh when I was a junior, and I really wanted to go back to Europe, like I loved you know, I'd grown up on a farm, I lived in a small town when I was going to college, and I was kind of ready to like be in a big city and um I, you know, I had loved London, but I kind of realized that I had no money. And, um, it's, you know, it's really hard to just kind of like up and pick up and go to another country and like, yeah, you can bartend, but if you want like an actual job, it's, you know, it's, it's not that easy. And, um, so I, Brian, my, um, advisor had, had advised me to apply for a Dow Jones newspaper fund internship. And, um, the way that works is like, you take a test, it's a writing test um it's a like an AP style test um and they pick i can't remember exactly how many people but they pick you know a certain number of students either a junior or senior from around the country you spend i think a week or two i'm um, i i can not remember exactly how long i was at one of the major journalism schools in the country so i was at um the university of missouri in columbia and you get kind of like training like on the ground training of like copy editing AP style headline writing all of that stuff and so it's it was more of a copy editing uh, copy editing internship is what it was um so I ended up getting that and they just assign you to a newspaper somewhere in the country like you have no you have no choice they just say hey this is where you're gonna be do you Mm -hmm. want it or not um and so you know I was um I was kind of open to being anywhere like there were some places I didn't want to be but um when I found out North Dakota, I was like, okay, great. <laughs> you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't know that much about North Dakota. And, um, you know, it was, I could drive there from Iowa. Like it was a long drive, but, um, it was, you know, pretty easy to get there. And, um, the great thing about being there was it was a small paper. Um, I think the circulation was like 35,000 daily. It, you know, it was on the border of That's Minnesota. So, it's, yeah, small, so but it's not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, and you know, they had won a Pulitzer. they'd had a really bad flood in the nineties, and like the, basically their newsroom was wiped out, and so they had they won a Pulitzer because they'd been like covering the devastation while while they themselves were kind of kicked out of their offices um and The great thing about this internship was I was actually doing the job um I know some of the other people who had this internship they would be at you know maybe more prestigious papers, but they'd be basically writing fake photo captions all summer, or like fake headlines, like what they were doing was never actually really in the paper. Whereas, you know, like, um, a month in, I think I was editing, I was I wasn't just editing, I was also doing page design. So I was also like laying out, you know, like, almost immediately, I was laying out sections on my own. Halfway through the summer, I was doing page one, which was just, you know, That must have been exciting. Yeah, it was really exciting. You know, I always loved, I really have always enjoyed um, page design. It's just like something that's like easy to absorb all of your attention and you just kind of lose yourself in it. Um, So I just like, I really loved that. And it was a great internship because they didn't treat me like I was an intern. I wasn't treated like I didn't know anything. I was literally just like thrown in right away. Like I had regular shifts and um, I was, you know, I was doing the same work as everybody else. And it was, you know, some of the best training that I've ever had.
0: That relates to my next question. I was going to ask you, you Mm -hmm. said uh, previously you told me that uh, you had applied after that was over, you applied for a job at JournalismJobs.com and ended up getting hired at Dow Jones, which we talked about. That must have been, and I wanted to ask you that how that, how you got that job and the competition must have been keen. But now I have some insight into how you got it because of the experience you had in Grand Forks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So like um, towards the end of my internship, they had offered to extend my internship. You know, they really liked me. I liked working there. Um, But I just I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it. I really wanted to go back to Europe or, you know, a bigger city. And so I decided I was just going to I was going to go home for a little bit and just try to figure it out. And um, so I moved back to Iowa for a month, realized I had no money. I mean, I love my family. I love my parents, but I knew I was not going to be living at home for very long. And, um, so I, I literally went, I went to journalismjobs.com. I applied for literally every job on the website, like everywhere. It like, it did not matter where it was, like in this country, I applied for it. And, um, in like a couple weeks, I think it was a really fast process, which is lucky because I know this can be really, really difficult, but, um, I was really lucky. I had applied for like an equities spot news job at Dow Jones and I had, I didn't know what equities were like I had never taken a business class I didn't really know what spot news was I literally had no job no idea what this job was but I was I was you know as journalism students do applying for literally everything and um they ended up calling me and doing a phone interview and then um they asked me to take a written test so I took a um I can't remember it was like a two or three hour test which was, you know, they would give you some information, you'd have to turn it around into a story, you know, doing ah. copy editing, things like that. And then I did well enough on that test that they asked me to fly out to um, the New York area at that time to try out on the desk. And at the same time, the Grand Forks Herald was like, hey, we have a reporting position, we'd really like you to come back. So I was kind of debating. Um, I went out for the, the job interview um, and at this time, I don't know what they do now, but at that time they don't pay for your travel. So it's like, you're paying for your own travel there. Um, you're paying for like all of your expenses, your meals, your housing, everything. And the way they used to do it was I basically, um, was in- intensive training for this job for three days. So the first two days I was just sitting with this editor. She was going over, her- Dow Jones was kind of formulaic in how it would word things like earning stories are worded the sure. same way things like that. So it's kind of the formulaic wording of how to, how to do this. Um, And so I basically just did that like, you know, for two straight days and then, you know, I interviewed with editors there and then I had to take a test at the end to just like show what I had learned. And um, you know, I did well enough that they offered me a job. So I, you know, and I do know that my Dow Jones newspaper fund internship helped because a lot of people who work at Dow Jones, have had that internship. Um, you know, it's, it's not actually part of Dow Jones. So it wasn't like I was a Dow Jones intern, but it was, you know, they knew that it was like reputable and that it, you know, it's, it was a difficult internship to get. So they really, um, like to hire people who had it. Um, so then I started at Dow Jones. I was covering, I was on the equities spot news desk, which meant I was writing, I was covering breaking news about the stock market. So like, everybody was assigned kind of different sectors or different stories. And so I would maybe be writing like JP Morgan's earnings. And then I would write about like American airlines. Did you find that
0: exciting or did you find it a little bit mind numbing?
1: Um, I really, I liked the adrenaline rush. So my, you know, I was working when I started, I was working seven to two and, uh, basically your deadline is 15 minutes. Like you, when the news, when the press release hits, you have to have a story published in 15 minutes. And
0: fantastic.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's come in handy now. I'm a very fast writer. Like if, if some, if news breaks, it's like, I will usually be the first, if not, you know, among the first, if not the first to publish something just from, you know, my background of having to do this so quickly, like, Your brain just kind of shuts off, and you go on autopilot.
0: Yeah, you Um, did that recently with uh, Greg (laughs) Jaszewak in the iPhone XR 10R sales. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just you know, I just I can get this stuff out really fast and very. I'm a clean writer, which is helpful um, in this profession. But um, what's a clean writer? (laughs) Meaning, I don't need a lot of edits. Like, I don't have I don't have typos. I don't have like errant commas. You know, yeah, it's just you know, like as like especially when you're. Writing these like breaking news stories, there is somebody editing you, but they don't want to take a lot of time to have to fix things. So, sure. On a 15 that, you know, minute they, deadline, the editor yeah, exactly. doesn't have time. They, so. they want to like look at that and publish it. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. So, okay. um, yeah. So it was, um, yeah. I, but I, I, you know, I did like doing breaking news and it was a great way to learn how things worked because I'd never taken a business class. I didn't know how to read a balance statement. I, don't, I didn't really know what anything you know any business terms were so it was really a crash course in all of these different industries like banking tech airlines insurers all of these different areas like writing about like real estate investment trusts like all this stuff that basically just you know tanked the economy (laughs) so i um you know i i did enjoy that because it was it was a it was i you know it was Your days went so fast because you're just, like, writing all this stuff. And also, your day's done when it's done. Like, you're writing the breaking news. You know, press releases come out before the market opens or when they're closed. So, that's you're kind of busy for, like, three hours. And then there's not really – you'd maybe be writing shells for stuff, you know, that's coming later. Like, you know somebody's reporting earnings on Thursday or whatever. But you weren't taking work home. You weren't, like, doing – you know, you weren't working on the weekends. It was just – It was you're you're writing a story and then it was done.
0: I'm going to have to interrupt you here.
2: Yeah, no problem.
0: So we've come to the end of segment one, pretty much. When we come back, we'll talk about uh, Wall Street Journal and some articles you've written at CNET. But first, we have to take a commercial break. Folks, we'll be right back in 60 seconds. Stay with us. I'm chatting with senior reporter from CNET, Shara Tipkin. We'll be right back.
2: Hello there, all you fabulous background mode listeners. I'm Kelly Gamont with the Mac Observer, and I just want to say a few words about how you can support all the things we do. If you're thinking about buying something from Apple, Amazon, or Mac Mall, just go to the Mac Observer's homepage where we have a section called Support TMO, or you can just enter MacObserver.com forward slash Apple Store, all one word, and that will take you to our special page for Apple and our other affiliates. If you make a purchase from one of our partners this way, the Mac Observer receives a small compensation for sending business their direction. Pretty cool, right? And you don't pay a penny more. This small fee from our affiliates helps us continue to bring you TMO's daily news, reviews, tips, how to's, and podcasts like this one. So the next time you're thinking about an online purchase, come to TMO's homepage and support the Mac Observer. Thanks. Back to you, John.
0: Thank you. We're back. I'm chatting with journalist, reporter Shara Tipkin. So tell me about the Wall Street Journal. We we'll just have a few minutes, and then I want to get into some of the articles you've written recently, especially about Samsung. Good stuff.
1: Yeah. um, So I, when I started, I was doing breaking news, then I covered the stock market for two years, uh, which was during the downturn, which was probably the most depressing and mind numbing job I've ever had. Uh, It was basically seeing like, oh, a stock's down 20%, like what's going on or whatever. Um, So a lot of it was writing about banks that were going out of business or, you know, almost about to go out of business or housing companies that were having problems. Um, and as part of that, I was watching tech companies. I was watching semiconductors. Uh, so after a couple years doing that, I, there were three beats open at that time at Dow Jones. One of them was banking. One of them was insurance. And one of them was semiconductors. And um, I really wanted the semiconductor job. And I ended up getting that. So I covered my last, so I was at Dow Jones for five years. My last two years, I covered semiconductors. So like Intel, Qualcomm, um, and I covered IBM. I, and I covered, uh, data storage. So that was like EMC. So like the big, um, you know, kind of enterprise storage companies, but then also like Seagate, Western digital. So I was really kind of covering the guts of computers, um, guts of devices. And, uh, one of my coworkers, is that
0: what got the attention of people at the wall street journal?
1: Yeah. I mean, I was, it was, I was Dow Jones, wall street journal. It was all the same. I, um, at the time I was there, there was still like a distinction. There were, you know, Dow Jones reporters and then there were wall street journal reporters. But from the very first article I wrote, my work was going in the paper. So I was, yeah, I mean, I I think my first article actually that I ever wrote went and went in the paper. So I was, yeah. So I was, you know, I was working with wall street journal editors. I was working with, with my counterpart reporters who were, I was based in New York at the time.
0: Did you ever get a chance to meet Walt, Walt Mossberg or Kara Swisher?
1: Um, we didn't overlap that much. They had, they were already doing all things D mm-hmm. um, at the time. So I worked with like Ina Freed, you know, I talked to her a lot. Oh, some yeah, of the I need here. to get
0: her on the show. Yeah. Do you know her very well? Yeah,
1: I do. Yeah. I got to get her um, on the show. Yeah. And I, I worked with some of the other all things D reporters, um, but I didn't work with them that much. And they also, yeah. So they were kind of doing through, going through all of kind of like that while I was there. Um. Yeah, and and um, I yeah. So like, I was you know, yes, yeah, so I was working with people across the organization, and um, the kind of the distinction was just kind of a name. Like every most of what I wrote yeah. went in the paper. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, so why did you leave for CNET?
1: Yeah, one of my uh, coworkers at Dow Jones at the Journal had gone to CNET. Um, he had covered telecom. So Roger Chang, he'd covered telecom while I covered semiconductors and we sat next to each other. And, um, when he went to CNET, he started talking to me about it and they, they kind of created a position and, um, recruited me over. So I went over to CNET. Um, I had really liked working with Roger and I just saw a lot of opportunity at CNET, um, to kind of cover different things. Like I loved covering semiconductors. I still like writing about semiconductors.
0: That entailed a move to San Francisco, right?
1: Uh, well I started, yeah, I started with CNET in New York and I was covering, I initially was covering kind of general news. And then I started covering Samsung about a couple months after I started. And then, um, when I was, after I'd been there about a year, um, CNET's Apple reporter quit and, the editor in chief at the time asked if I wanted to also cover Apple and move to San Francisco. And Yay. at this time, I yeah. At this, <laughs> I take <laughs> that this, job. <laughs> yeah, at this time, I'd been in New York for about seven years, and um, I was kind of ready to try something different. And it's always you know good to try something when a company is going to move you and support you. So, does San I, Francisco
0: please you compared to New York, or is it six to one, uh, half a dozen of another?
1: Yeah, it's, you know, it took me a really long time to adjust to San Francisco. Like, I'm finally at the point where I do like it. Like, I love California. I think California is just beautiful. It's it's such a beautiful state. Um, I still miss the, like, the vibe of New York. I miss, I you know, I miss the energy. I miss just, like, I don't know, how many restaurants and shops. And I miss Broadway, yeah. especially. Oh, like, yeah. I love theater. So that's, you know, that's hard. That's something I really miss, but. I am able to go back quite a bit, which is nice.
0: Okay. So before we run out of time, I've got a whole bunch of questions. I wanted to ask you about your writing Great. and the one I've been, even though I've been following you for years, the one that really stood out for me was a recent article you wrote at CNET about rural broadband and the difficulties entailed there. It was a fabulous article and I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, Fill us in on rural broadband and the problems and some of the solutions.
1: Yeah. Mm. So this story uh, I ended up, My coworker, uh, Maggie Rudin, and I ended up doing a story package about this. Um, And the way it came about was I was um, talking to my mom and I was working at CNET. They let you work remotely. So when I go back to Iowa, I will often work from there for a bit. So I don't have to use all of my vacation time. And the Internet is so slow that I feel like I've gone back in time, basically. And, you know, for me, I'm just dealing with this for maybe, you know, a month total out of the year, whereas my family is dealing with it all the time. And, uh, you know, so just kind of seeing what that was like, this is something I've wanted to write about for quite a while. Uh, You know, we, you know, 5G's coming, we're hearing all this like crazy fast, you know, mobile speeds, but people in a lot of places of the U.S. can barely get any connection at all. And it was just really striking to me to see, you know what it's like there and i think a lot of people just don't realize what it's like so my colleague and i put together this package to kind of show people what it's actually like in daily life and what the reality of you know lack of internet connection that people are dealing with in a lot of these places and you know iowa is becoming this um lots of tech companies are going into iowa there's um You know, Apple has stuff there, Microsoft, Google, you know, a lot of those are data center related, but other places hire a lot of people in Iowa. Usually
0: companies go into an area where they find a workforce that's amenable to being hired. How How did Iowa develop a workforce that appealed to Apple and Microsoft?
1: Well, Iowa has, Iowa State University has a really strong engineering program. Mm, Um, Okay. They always have, they have for like years. So there's an educated workforce. Um, Iowa's public schools are very good. People are just, you know, people are well-educated there. There are tons of private small colleges like Simpson, like what I went to. Um, So it's, you know, it's just, it's an educated workforce. Uh, It's cheaper than the Bay Area or the, or the East Coast. Um, It's cheaper to hire talent. Uh, a lot of people who live in Iowa are from Iowa and they want to stay in Iowa. Um, you know, I talked to this. Except James D.
0: Kirk. He left.
1: <laughs> yeah. I talked to um, Pillar Technologies. They, they're they kind of like a software consulting firm. And they they have offices in some areas. And they're looking in Iowa. They're trying to build these what they're calling forges. So they're trying to set up offices in small towns outside of big cities.
0: Is that helping with the broadband issue?
1: Um kind of so they the requirements that they have is they have to have fiber because they're you know they're dealing with clients in the bay area and they have to be able to to collaborate with them and get things to them as quickly as possible access all of this data as quickly as possible so in places that they're considering these towns are pushing for broadband and it's not it's not like the towns don't necessarily want this i think you know in some places people don't really realize what it's like until they use faster speeds so like in my hometown I was talking to people like the local airport. You couldn't even, I mean, their speeds were so slow. You couldn't even. You said in your article that the local airport
0: had had one megabit per second.
1: Yeah. Was that for the entire airport? Yeah, that was for the (laughs) entire airport. That was the entire airport. (laughs) And yeah, it's crazy. And, you know, it just, the fact of the matter is it's very hard to, it's expensive to lay fiber. Isn't that the issue? Isn't that the issue?
0: You're in a farm Two miles yeah. out of town. Yeah, it's it's ten thousand dollars a mile to lay cable or fiber. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's it's far. And if you're the only customer, you know, the the thing with Iowa is, you know, there are some rural areas that it's like not there may not be people for many, many miles. In Iowa it's a little more populated than that, which is why all of these rural phone companies set up, you know, in the 1800s, and they started their own phone services, because they would have enough customers to serve. But the you know, the big old phone companies, it wasn't attractive to them to, you know, have 25 customers, but those 25 customers needed phone service. So there were all these independent phone companies that started. And um, they're, you know, everybody's going about this differently, like some are getting government funding, some are just using their own investment money, some are, you know, not really sure what they're doing yet. Some are hoping that, oh, yeah, when 5G comes, eventually that's. Going yeah, to but,
0: but 5G is a short range because of the it high is. frequency. Yeah. So that yes. is uh, 5G is not the panacea something. for rural yeah. areas. It's for cities, it's right? Really
1: not. Yeah, it's it's exactly. And I, I just don't think people a lot of people understand that. You know, like every, I think a lot of consumers have heard 5G, but don't really understand what exactly it is. And the big telecom companies are trying to figure out. You know, like the Verizons, the AT&Ts, they're trying to figure out how to use this in more rural areas. Um, you know, like at and is looking at something, putting um, kind of towers into to electric poles. So then, you know, wherever there's yeah, because 5G pole requires
0: that- these repeaters.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it has to, it doesn't travel as far, you know, the the distances are shorter, you know, using kind of the lower frequency, it goes a lot farther, but it's not going to be as fast. But, you know, in a lot of these places, kind of the speeds you're getting anyway, like almost anything's going to seem fast compared to (laughs) to what you're getting. Um, And yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's just, it's a real challenge with, with kind of the distance and the population density to make it kind of make sense financially for these companies to really expand their internet services.
0: Now I've read at CNET, I think, and maybe other places that 5g is coming on Samsung phones in 2019. Yes. Uh, there's yeah. some technical issues with antenna design and other things. And Apple, we believe Apple is not going to introduce a 5g phone until 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, what's happening with Samsung? Are they jumping the gun just to, you know, be prideful and have something to to, uh, boast about or is it really going to work?
1: Well, I mean, well, the thing with Samsung is they do often try new technologies before other people. But I think when it comes to 5G, I think we're going to see every single phone company have 5G next year. Um, I think Apple's going to be the lone exception I was um, at a Qualcomm conference and their president told me that every Android phone maker they're working with, which is basically everyone, um, is going to have a 5G phone by the holidays next year. Is that just
0: an effort to sell phones, even though the network infrastructure of 5G is not yet fleshed out? Because some articles I've read suggest that uh, Apple doesn't want to go to 5G until it's a pleasing and widespread customer experience.
1: I don't. I don't think that that's necessarily it. I think the fact of Apple not going to 5G is more about their patent licensing battle that they're that they have going with Qualcomm than it is necessarily about the networks like Intel. They're you know, they're buying 5G chips from Intel and Intel is a little behind Qualcomm when it comes to this. So Qualcomm's chips are ready. Um, you know, I think Mobile World Congress. We're probably going to see a bunch of 5G phones announced. Uh, the network operators, like AT and T, says they're turning on their network by the end of this year. Verizon has it in some homes, which is different from on your mobile device. But they're they're turning their network on early 2019. Um, T-Mobile, you know, they're using kind of the slower, lower frequency. Theirs is going to be ready too. Um, You know, and that's just in the US and it's kind of happening globally all at the same time. So we are really going to see networks turning on next year. Does that mean in Iowa, people are going to see 5G? No, you know, maybe Des Moines, maybe some of the bigger cities. But, you know, where I grew up, there's not going to be 5G. Is there going to be 5G in New York and San Francisco? Yes, there will be.
0: I read something about maybe the possibility of um, local 5G modems connected to the internet so that you could have local 5G inside buildings where the signal doesn't propagate very well. So do we expect to see 5G home modems?
1: Yeah. Like that, that this is one thing that's uh, pretty interesting is I think that there is kind of just like this whole new market for 5G, which is, you know, in homes and in, you know, businesses, especially like I, 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 based on, you know, conversations I've had with suppliers like Samsung, Qualcomm and others, there could be, you know, like CNET's owned by CBS, like CBS could set up their own 5G network in our offices mm-hmm. or, um, instead of Fi to replace
0: Fi or supplement.
1: Uh, it could like supplement. Um, yeah. you know, if you have fiber, like you're, you already have like super fast speeds. Um, but you know, a lot of, there could be like a lot of like really interesting industrial uses and, reasons you know to have kind of these like mini 5g networks um and you know i you know like verizons and at&t's they're going to want to set that up for people you know they're going to want to have like you know install that for people so um yeah i mean it, it you know it, it's interesting it's going to be interesting to see how like what happens with 5g you know i think next year we're going to see it for sure in big cities more densely popla- populated areas And, you know, even people who keep a 4G phone should benefit from this because the biggest problem with 4G right now is kind of the congestion. Like there's so many people on the 4G networks and downloading and accessing 4G data that it just like slows it all down. And once more people are on 5G, that kind of solves that problem. It's more like, you know, instead of a one lane highway, it's multi lanes. And, you know, so then 4G is even going to be faster and, um, you know I, are we going to see like these massive huge huge fast speeds you know probably not unless you're sitting you know underneath a, like a a base station <laughs> but but you know i think everybody's going to start seeing faster speeds you know starting next year and then you know ramping up in 2020 and um you know even rural areas you know, everybody I talked to said, you know, it's going to make its way there. It's just going to take a little while.
0: That's going to be exciting. Well, we're yeah. starting to run out of time, and I only have a minute or two left here. I want to shoot some rapid fire questions at you, some some Great. quick questions and answers. So Samsung has come out with an A8s with no headphone jack. After years of ribbing Apple about it, is this just is Samsung being Samsung? What's the what's the story there?
1: You mean like why don't they have a headphone jack? Yeah, I, I mean are that, they following
0: suit or are they just gonna ignore their past and advertising and or are they just jealous of Apple or
1: <laughs> what I don't think it's like I th- I think it's more like People are still angry about Apple ditching the headphone jack. Like, frankly, people are. But
2: mm-hmm. people
1: now are more used to it. And there are just better, you know, there's there are more options out there in terms of Bluetooth headphones. And it's something that people are just kind of more used to. Uh-huh. So it's not as shocking if you're the, you know, the first one to do it. Um, you know, with Apple, it, it, you know, it, it was surprising for a lot of people. And, you know, it can be a pain when you're, you know, your iPhone, your Mac, and your iPad all require different headphones, and then when you you know get on an airplane, you need regular you know the regular headphone jack. So, um, you know I I'm carrying like four kinds of headphones basically <laughs> at this point. Okay. And you know is that you know is that a super convenient future? Not so much, but you know at I, some I point. I think it helped with the IP68
0: waterproofing.
2: That was (laughs) the big thing. Yeah, totally. All right.
0: Samsung has introduced a foldable smartphone or smoltable foldable smartphones, smoldables. (laughs) (laughs) Is that, is that a gimmick or is that the future?
1: Well, we don't know yet. Um, They just gave us some like very brief details about it. We don't even really know what it looks like. Uh, You know, this is something we'll, we'll probably see early next year. I think that it's going to be interesting to see what this actually is like. Um, You know, the way they've kind of positioned it is it's a phone when it's closed and then it could be like more of a tablet. Mm. Uh, They had a developer conference in October um, that I went to, or yeah, recently, sorry, November, I believe. And it was, um, it was, you know, they were talking about how, like, if you're using, like, Flipboard, for instance, when it's closed and it's more like a phone, when you open it to the bigger tablet, it knows where you were and just gives you more of an expanded view. So maybe you'll have, like, a, a toolbar on the side and then, like, the article or whatever. Uh, so I think they're really trying hard to come up with real, actual uses for why you want this and why it's not just a gimmick. Do I think the first phone is going to be something everybody buys? No. No. Like this is going to be when they first introduced kind of the flexible display that curved around the side of the phone. That was just very limited quantities. It wasn't, you know, very widespread, but eventually we've seen that in all of their phones and, you know, most phone companies now use kind of the curved displays. Um, So this could be something that becomes normal down the road. I think it's going to be kind of limited in the beginning Also, they have to get app developers on board. They have to get things that actually make this useful, which I think is what they're really trying to work on.
0: Okay. So we really are out of time. All right. I want to thank you for being on the show with me. This was a lot of fun. Your perspectives and your background really helped inform us about a lot of things. Thank you very much.
1: Great. Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: Tell the listeners how to contact you if they wish.
1: Uh, Yeah, I am on Twitter at Shara Tipkin. Or uh, email also shara.tipkin at cbsinteractive.com.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Again, thank you very much for joining me on the show. It was a pleasure.
1: Great. Thank you so much.
0: Listeners, I'm glad you came by and I hope you enjoyed the show. You've been listening to the Mac Observer's Background Mode. We'll see you again next week.